You're listening to Hope for Today Church Podcast. We're so glad that you're joining in this virtual space. We believe that as you listen, Jesus will minister to you right where you are. So open up your mind and your heart to what the Word would say to you today. Thank you for joining us. And remember, Jesus is our hope for today. I'm going to invite you to turn to Galatians. We're going to continue uh, in this letter, this really, truly a wonderful uh, letter of revelation uh, to the believers in Galatia that really still speaks to us today uh, in the church. Uh, I've entitled the message here for this afternoon, Practice What You Preach. Practice What You Preach. Preach. You know, you hear this time and time again, but sometimes I, f- I feels the wrong word. Uh, from reading scripture, you can see that at times people preach things they haven't necessarily even read about, but they've told themselves that enough and enough times and it's become gospel. Uh, and so when you go through Galatians, Paul in many ways is saying, where did you hear that? Where did you hear that? Um, and so what I appreciate, and you're going to glean here this afternoon, is how the Apostle Paul is unwavering and committed to the true gospel and that gospel that he preached. And very simply, the foundation is that all are justified by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. There's no and and additives you need to add in order to be saved and accepted by God. It comes solely by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And so beginning the letter, Paul establishes and says, I am authentic because of the one who has sent me. My apostleship is divine. I didn't set this thing up. In fact, Jesus appeared to me on the road to Damascus and he revealed the gospel to me. He goes on in his letter in chapter one, talks about how he didn't learn it from the learned apostles. He spent three years outside of their court. So he wasn't discerned by their company. You know how easy it is. You, you go to dinner and you, you go on a car ride and you learn things. and You take things away from people and you, you, excuse me, you start taking a little bit of this and a little bit of that. Well, Paul's saying, I didn't take anything from anybody except from that of Christ. And then we're going to begin in Galatians chapter two. He says, then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along also. I went up according to revelation and presented to them the gospel I preach among the Gentiles but privately to those recognized leaders. I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running in vain. And when I can appreciate what Paul's saying here, vain means to be fruitless, producing no results. He really recognized the leaders that were there. And so in coming to them, he wanted to be sure he wasn't preaching a contrary gospel. And so in verse three, he says, but not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. And so here we have the main underlining issue, what was going on. And this matter arose because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus in order to enslave us. But we did not give up and submit to these people for even a moment so that the truth of the gospel 
would be preserved for you. And I have to say, I'm going to add an additional title to the message today. Hold the line. Practice what you preach. Verse 6, now from those recognized as important, what they once were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to me. On the contrary, they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel for the uncircumcised just as Peter was for the circumcised. And since the one at work in Peter from an apostleship to the circumcised was also at work in me for the Gentiles. And when James, Cephas, which means Peter, and John, those recognized as pillars, acknowledged the grace that had been given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to me and Barnabas, agreeing that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They, all, they asked only that we would remember the poor, which I had made every effort to do. Now, there's a lot of things happening here, especially the word circumcised. Okay, and I understand some of you people, you know, you're thinking about this. What on earth is really going on here? Why is this such a big deal? And we're going to get into this. But right in verse 3, Paul is showing his faithfulness to the message that he received as preached. And as promised, the Lord said to him, I'm going to show Paul how much he must suffer for my name's sake, how much he will suffer for the gospel. And here we see Paul was being tested. If anyone had ever has told you that you will never be tested in this Christian life, they lied to you. <laughs> you will be tested. The Christian life is not easy. Here we see in this letter, he and Titus were tested. This young man, a Greek, Paul very clearly emphasized this Greek young man, Titus, who was in the presence, was being pressured to join the ranks of the people of Judaism that were restricted adheres to the law. And they saw the importance of circumcision as showing their, their worship, a sign, identifying card, if you will, that they belong to God and they serve and worship him only. And yet here, Paul emphasizes and shows, but wait, the gospel of the Gentiles doesn't include any of that. This is going back to the very promise of Abraham that predated the law, that people would be justified by faith. And not only for the descendants of Abraham, but all the nations of the earth would be blessed through him. So Paul is rightfully noting, thankfully Titus didn't give in also. And here Titus, oh, my phone's going off. Here Titus, you know, he goes up to Jerusalem and he sees this, interaction of leaders and, and seeing the joys and the challenges of ministry and leadership formation. And what spoke to me was that Paul and Titus, not just Paul, but Titus were resolved to the purity of that essential foundation of the gospel. And for fire for effect, that essential foundation is all who believe in Jesus are saved. That's where we get the word redemption and are justified, which means accepted, by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. So this essentially says for us here today, anyone who believes, whether of race, wealth, position, or religious background, you are in Christ and he is in you. Romans 1.16, I don't think we can really get enough of the statement that Paul uh, said to the Roman believers, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew 
and then also to the Greek. You know, Titus's involvement here, the reason why Paul mentioned the very presence of him is it not only showed that um, Paul and Titus were being tested, but it gave the Christians that Paul was addressing an opportunity to practice also what they believed. You know, would they, would they, you know, walk the line, so to speak, or would they cross over in order to appease the, the different parties and such that were pressuring them? But the gospel that Paul declared that he received from Christ did not require any of these additions, didn't require strict adherence to the law because their identity was solely from faith in Christ from the heart. And so nonetheless, right here, number two, after establishing that he has this divine apostleship, he identifies what the problem is. There are these false brothers amongst us. Verse four, he mentions them as false brothers. And these are those Judaizers or Judaizers that are attempting to shame not just Titus, but anyone they could put under their thumb. This undue distress you know, many respects as I was writing in, in my uh, devotional journal, they were trying to get the believers to second guess their secure position in Christ. It's all as if they're trying to get them to look over their shoulder as if they were missing something, as if they, you know, hadn't checked their blind sets, uh, blind spots, that they were missing out. Almost like you better spink, sprinkle in a bit of the law like salt and pepper in order to get the full gospel. The full message. And so Ray, in, in his introduction in verse 6, he says, Look, you're, you've quickly turned away from him who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. They were starting to backpedal and take those steps backwards. And what we can appreciate here this afternoon that from the word of God is that this is equally true for all who desire to be justified by the law. You know, I can't begin to tell you how many times, even though we, we belong to the new covenant communion, we can see God's wisdom in the law that was holy in order to set people apart, but we couldn't do it. And yet you can see from a place of well-intentionality where it all becomes about the works of the flesh to living and adhering according to the law as if God's on his throne and more position to those who are following the law. And look what Paul goes on in chapter 3 and verse 1. And his language is, is very tough to hear. You foolish Galatians, who has cast a spell on you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? I only want to learn this from you. Someone really wants to get a hold of me. That's the uh, Back to the Future music, if anyone's uh, wondering. And it's the youth group. The youth group messaging is probably wondering what's happening here. So sorry about that. I'm going to turn this off. He goes on and he says, I only want to learn this from you. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish after beginning by the Spirit? Are you now finishing by the flesh? Did you experience so much for nothing if in fact it was for nothing? So then, does God give you the Spirit and work miracles among you by your doing the works of the law? Or is it by believing what you heard? 
Or is it believing by what you heard? Paul is rightfully calling them out. And sometimes you need to hear those words. You're being foolish. What are you thinking? They were believing hook, line, and sinker, this distortion of the gospel. And so Paul goes on and talks about who these false troublers, these false believers were. They preferred the revelation, if you can grab your head around this, they preferred the revelation of Moses and justification by the law instead of by grace. They preferred it. Moses, you know, almost like the deep, just the name Moses. They, they were gratifying or, or resonating with it so much so they wanted to be fulfilled by that law that he received from the Lord. But here Paul is saying, I receive revelation from Jesus Christ himself. This word is authentic. My word is true. And as I was reading through here this, uh, earlier this morning, jotting out a few extra notes for some takeaways, I wrote down, you know, what, what were their demands? It's so important when people are putting in, in, you know, impositions on you. What are their demands? Well, here they're showing this strict adherence to the law, namely circumcision. I think circumcision was mentioned about six or seven times for means of being accepted by God. And as we go on, as, as we walk through what does all that look like, a takeaway for is this, the reason why this group of false brothers was so bent out of shape is fervor for them was all about the ritual rather than keeping the true heart and spirit of the law. That was faithfulness and devotion and love for the Lord and for one another. But it became all about the ritual. It became all about the practice. In fact, Jesus spoke to this group's religious spirit. In Matthew 9, 10 to 13, he says this, uh, says this, While he was reclining at the table in the house, many tax collectors and sinners came to eat with Jesus and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now, when he heard this, he said, it is not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. When you realize that people called Jesus rabbi, Jesus was like a good rabbi, pouring people that were listening and hearing his words, the very words of scripture. He was quoting Hosea 6, 6 that says, for I desire faithful love and not sacrifice the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. But you see what's happened here. For them, it was not about faithful love. It was about the sacrifice. It was not about the knowledge of God, the power to save. Rather, it was about the offerings. What have you done for him lately? What sacrifice have you offered for him lately? What do you have to show? And circumcision was one of the most painful, visible ways, and not like everyone's walking with their pants down, but ways for them to know that they were in the Lord. But Jesus is showing them, as he points out the religious spirit, God desires his people's faithfulness and unwavering love more than the ritual observance. And this can speak to us today that, that God had a desire and relationship with us. It's not about the sacrifices that we give. Surely we give of our life and it says that our life is to be a living sacrifice, but our life is so much more than the sacrifice. 
And to understand their drive, to understand these false brothers where some may be here to think, well, maybe they're getting a, you know, an unfair rap. It's important for us to know the purpose of the law and the purpose of circumcision. So very quickly, I hope you've asked this question, why the law? And if you were to, you know, talk to someone in the community and sharing your faith, if they said, okay, I understand belief in Jesus, forgiveness of my sins. Well, what, what was the law all about? What was the purpose of it? And I can understand sometimes it's difficult to correlate the two. But Paul, again, in his letter to those in Galatia, he says in chapter 3, verse 19, literally answering that question, why then was the law given? It was added for the sake of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise was made would come. Remember the promise given to Abraham predating the law that they would be justified by faith and the seed of his descendant and Jesus, who was a Jew, was of that seed, fulfilling the very promise that in him, what he did on the cross, that it would be fulfilled through him. And so in verse 20, sorry, just before verse 20, it says, the law was put into effect through angels by means of a mediator. Now a mediator is not just for one person alone, but God is one. Is the law therefore contrary to God's promise? Again, he's answering another question. Isn't this kind of going against itself? God's whole plan? He says, absolutely not. For if the law had been granted with the ability to give life, then righteousness would certainly be on the basis of the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin's power, so the promise might be given on the basis of faith in Jesus Christ to those who believe. Before this faith came, we were confined under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith was revealed. The law then was our guardian until Christ, so we could be justified by faith. But since that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian, for through faith you are all sons of God in Jesus Christ. Look at the end of the verse 26, laying it all out there. Through faith, you are sons of God in Christ Jesus. So the end of the day, all the trimmings that we offer that can be holy and pleasing to God, the end of the day, as, as, as good as it can be, engaging in those practices, it's our faith that matters. It's saved by grace through faith. In fact, in another letter, Paul wrote to young Timothy, and whom he entrusted to pastor the churches that were established, he spoke of this guardianship. And maybe you're like me, you, you enjoy going to multiple av areas of Scripture to hear these explanations of God's plan and providence. So 1 Timothy 1 verse 8, it says, But we know the law is good, provided one uses it legitimately. We know that the law is not meant for a righteous person, but for the lawless and rebellious, for the ungodly and the sinful, for the unholy and irreverent, for those who kill their fathers and mothers and for murderers, for the sexually immoral and males who have sex with males, for slave traders, liars, perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to sound teaching. That's heavy, right? That conforms to the gospel concerning the glory of the blessed God, which was entrusted to us. And so when you can think about that, the guardianship of law that was pointing out the depravity of our life and how hopeless and devoid of life we, we truly are without Christ, on top of that, now we can understand the aspect of circumcision, that it was more than 
more than just a practice, it was a ritual dating back to the days of Abraham when the people of God were established as a nation. It was a physical sign, as I said, a covenant between God and his people. And he says this in Genesis 17, 9, as for you and your offspring, after you throughout their generations are to keep my covenant. And this is my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you, which you are to keep. Every one of your males must be circumcised. You must circumcise the flesh of that foreskin to serve as a sign of the covenant between me and you. So the next time someone says, what in blazes was the purpose of all of that? It was a sign of the covenant between God and his people. A solemn reminder. And so the rightfully so, as I was reading through, I could understand. I did, I did uh, look at a few commentaries this week just to, to see where I was at and some note-taking and what I believe the, the Holy Spirit was uh, revealing to me in regards of all this. Some theologians hold that these false brothers may have been read wrong. They may have been read wrong because of, you know, their, their, their adherence to the law and desiring to please God and honor God with their very life. And, and perhaps they sincerely thought as an outflow of Judaism that Christianity should naturally follow suit and fulfill the Jewish practices because Jesus was a Jew. But we know here today, very simply, Christianity is not Judaism 2.0. It's not like a software update. It is a completely new hardware and setup out with the old and in with the new. The Hebrews, the letter of Hebrews uh, classifies it as. And so this gospel to the Gentiles was and was solely justification through faith by the promise made to Abraham which predated the law. Look how Paul continues to say in Galatians 3, 6. He says, just like Abraham who believed God, and it was credit to him for righteousness. You know then that those who have faith, these are Abraham's sons. Now the scripture saw in advance that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and proclaim the gospel ahead of time to Abraham saying, all the nations will be blessed through you. Consequently, those who have faith are blessed with Abraham who had faith. And so I, I think we can appreciate here of why it was so important for Paul to respond. You know, as a leader, as a leader in the church, it's important we can be thankful for leaders that speak up. Speak up when things are going awry, when practices are being engaged, even in the local assembly. And no matter what or who this group was, what mattered was they were not sent by the big three leaders or pillars in the church in Antioch. Because Antioch was a place in which believers were first called Christian. And that was important because Paul mentioned in verse 9, when James, Cephas, and John, those recognized as pillars, acknowledged the grace that had been given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to me and Barnabas, agreeing that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised and they to the Jews. They didn't correct Paul. They didn't say, hey, man, what you're doing is in vain. You need to stop it. They recognized that authority of what he was taught through Christ. 
In verse two, again, he says, I wanted to be sure I was not running in vain. You know, a lot of times in the church, and you know, we've all been there. You know, we're all growing. We're all maturing by the fruit of the spirit. We're learning self-control. We're, we're learning goodness and gentleness and the whole nine yards. There are times where we can run lone, as lone gunmen wanting to go and do things as we see fit. We don't want to sit under you know, pastorship, or maybe even sit under, you know, local uh, authority. But here, Paul, rightfully so, even after everything that he had been to, even after he was blind and his eyes were open, he came face to face with a living God, and he was taught by him directly, he still submitted himself to leadership. And I thought, man, what humility that Paul showed, even though he rightfully had the boldness to give them all spanking in Jerusalem. Were these leaders being passive aggressive by speaking through this other party? You know, a lot of times in the church, we can be passive aggressive. We may not say things to one another, but we might inadvertently go around through someone else. And so to slowly wrap things up, I want us to turn to Acts 15, which is so appropriate where Paul, again, he highlights the importance of, of going and, and sitting under uh, authority and, and, and talking things through. And so he mentioned here in Galatians 2 that he and Titus went to Jerusalem. And in Acts 15, it shows this interaction of this discourse that they had together. And so picking up in verse 22, it says, Then the apostles and elders with the whole church decided to select men who were among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, Judas called Barabbas, and Silas, both leading men among the brothers. They wrote, From the apostles and the elders, your brothers, to the brothers and sisters among the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia, greetings. Since we have heard that some without our authorization went out from us and troubled you with their words and unsettled your hearts, we have unanimously decided to select men and send them to you along with our dearly loved Barnabas and Paul, who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, Therefore, we have sent Judas and Silas, who will personally report the same things by word of mouth. For it was the Holy Spirit's decision and not ours, not to place further burdens on you beyond these requirements, that you abstain from food offered to idols, from blood, from eating anything that has been strangled, and from sexual morality. You do well if you keep yourselves from these things. Farewell. And so they were sent off and went down to Antioch. And after gathering the assembly, they delivered the letter. And then when they read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. Both Judas and Silas, who were also prophets themselves, encouraged the brothers and sisters and strengthened them with a long message. After spending some time there, they went back in peace by the brothers and sisters to those who had sent them. So long story short, this interaction, this going to Jerusalem, the letters that would follow, validated Paul's message, validated his mission, that what he said was 100% authentic and from the Lord, there could be no question. So anytime those false brothers, you know, stuck their head out and said, no, you know, Paul, he's a good guy. Yeah, he was once a blasphemer and a persecutor. He's, he's turned out to be pretty sweet dude now, but he's got partial gospel here. You need to add some more to your faith. 
Next time they would hear that, they would just mind them no attention and zone in on what Paul had said to them. And I'm sure he said, as he said in Acts 4.12, there is salvation and no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. You know, when you hear that passage, you notice it doesn't mention anything about ritual covenant given. Does it mention a ritual practice that you must go through to prove that you're worthy of the saving that has taken place? One of my favorite verses, I'm sure many of you have taken that, is Romans 10, 9 and 10. It says, the message is in you, it's in your heart, it's in your mouth. That when you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One believes with the heart resulting in righteousness, and one confesses with the mouth resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will be not put to shame. There's no distinction between Jew or Greek because the same Lord of all richly blesses all who call on him. So here, the very beginning, these false brothers, what are they trying to do? They're trying to shame Titus. Pressure him so much again that he feels as if he's missing out that he would just give in and say, fine, get the knives, get everything, and let's, let's get the circumcision party going. Many ways, this party, I believe as we see even stay in the local church, we see many churches and doors closing places that have existed for hundreds of years are rightfully closing because they become about the ritual, they become about the practices, and they've lost the drive and fervor for relationship with the Lord, and they represent a dying religion that God will see close. And whenever those doors close, that's why you see churches rise up because they desire to live according to the living, true gospel. Holding the line. Look what he says at the end of verse five. But we did not give up and submit to these people for even a moment so that the truth of the gospel would be preserved for you. And this hit me as not just a, a believer, but also a pastor. There are times where we have to hold the line. Now we can, like Paul, be, if I can put it this way, be diplomatic in how we go about doing that. We don't skirt issues. We don't sugarcoat things. We don't add a little bit of salt and pepper so it feels good and tastes nice. We hold the line to the true gospel message that at the end of the day, because we are saved, we're justified by grace through faith. That it's out of that, that faith doesn't exist on its own. We, we, we model, we live in love for God and, and love for one another. And that is to this theological truth, the very foundation. And Paul goes on to say in Galatians 3.27, For those of you who have been baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. There is no Jew nor Greek nor slave or free or male or female because you are one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. Think about that revelation we have for today. We are heirs of that promise. I am so thankful that I did not live in the time in which you had to have, you know, cattle and all these, you know, lambs and such and go through all these ritual sacrifices in order to be right and accepted. Now it's as simple as the confession of your faith. 
We have such a a wonderful thing to be excited about, the relationship that we have in Jesus. And the church is growing. You know, here we see a dying religion with these parties and groups. But the word of the Lord says that the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. And so I encourage you today, hold the line. Practice what you preach. There'll be times when you'll be tested. It'll be difficult, but the reward is plentiful because think about it, because of Paul and Titus and others, their resolve, look at where it took them. The message traveled. It went beyond Galatia to the roads through the entire Roman empire and impacted the world because of the truth of the message. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for the truth of your word. <laughs> Father, I, I think about the, the, the humor and even boldness of the Apostle Paul. Lord, you chose him for a reason. Lord, you knew his personality. You, know, you knew his tenaciousness. Yeah, he was a studied man and all those things. But Lord, you knew his heart. And we thank you, Lord, that just as your grace, your favor captured Paul, that that grace and mercy was not in vain, Lord, that he labored in love for you, modeled that love for you. It jumps off the the pages of scripture for us here today. Lord, may we be encouraged here this afternoon by the power of your spirit to reach out like Paul, to to preach and, and teach with sincerity and truth and love for you holding the line even when we're tested. Lord, we thank you for the wonderful reality of the uncomplicated relationship that we have in you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for the simplicity of it. And as we read your word, we can respond with thanksgiving. How wonderful it is. We thank you, Jesus. What a blessing. What a blessing. The promise to Abraham, justification through faith, through all the generations. Oh, we thank you for our family members. We thank you for the friends, even those who have not come to realization of who you are, have not uh, grabbed a hold of the revelation that your spirit's been prompting on their heart. We thank you, Lord, that you are working behind all the scenes. Help us to be prepared and ready to speak as you would have us speak. Lord, as you are seeing the seed and sowing the seed through different men and women here, May we keep our tank, so to speak, ready to pour out and water the seeds that have been planted by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Worship team.
His face shine upon me.